Welcome to Balance 365 Life Radio, a podcast that delivers honest conversations about food, fitness, weight, and wellness. I'm your host, Annie Breeze, along with Jennifer Campbell and Lauren Kosky. We are personal trainers, nutritionists, and founders of Balance 365. Together, we coach thousands of women each day and are on a mission to help them feel healthy, happy, and confident in their bodies on their own terms. Join us here every week as we discuss hot topics pertaining to our physical, mental, and emotional well-being with amazing guests. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Bounce 365 Life Radio. Before we get into today's podcast episode with an amazing guest, I want to share with you a super sweet message that we received from one of our community members on Facebook today. Christy says, I have been a part of Healthy Habits, Happy Moms for almost two years now and a Bounce 365er since May of 2018. I am all in to the way this group thinks and believes. I'm at the point now that when I work out, I channel Annie Breeze. When I mention establishing habits to coworkers, I channel Lauren Kosky. And when I'm trying to give some perspective to friends about diet culture and treating myself well, I channel Jennifer Campbell. I can't thank the three of you enough for how you have changed my outlook and daily life. I'm chipping away at the program, but at this point, my greatest takeaway is the way I live out each day because of this new perspective. I can go on and on, but I just have to give a big thanks to Jennifer, Annie, and Lauren. Thank you so much, Christy. And I want to share with all of our community members that any email, any message, any direct message on Instagram, we read them all and we are so appreciative. Any reviews that you share on the podcast, we love them all. We cannot thank you enough. All right, let's jump into this podcast because I'm super excited about it. I'm not sure if we've referenced any other book on this podcast as much as we have her book, Secrets from the Eating Lab by Dr. Tracy Mann. Dr. Mann is a professor of psychology at the University of Minnesota and an expert on the psychology of eating, dieting, and self-control. In addition to all her impressive professional experience, she's also a mom who loves ice cream. Super relatable, hey? If you're curious about how much control we really have over our weight, how you can avoid temptation, and why diets don't work and what to do instead, then you have to listen to this interview with Dr. Mann. Enjoy. Jen and Lauren, we have a special, special guest. Are you two pumped for this show or what? So pumped. Yes, I've been waiting for We what? arranged this before, well before Christmas, I think, so I've just been like... Vibrating, yeah. waiting for it. And what our listeners didn't catch before we started recording was Jen gushing for about 10 minutes about how she loves Dr. Tracy Mann. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. You guys are so nice. We, The three of us have read your book, um, The Secrets from the Eating Lab, and um, we reference studies quotes information from this book so often in our community and our podcast if they haven't read it if listeners haven't read it we would highly recommend it and it's it's um heavy on the science because you're a researcher but I wasn't overwhelmed by the science when I was reading it I felt it was very like I can understand the concepts that you were sharing so thank you so much for joining us I would also say I'm sure I shouldn't say this but it's free on Kindle right now. Oh, oh my. Hey. Okay. How long is it going to be free for? 
I, you know, I, I have a vague memory of agreeing to this with my agent like a year ago, thinking it was like a month long thing. And I think it's possibly forever. I don't know. Okay, we will never sell another book. So, <laughs> well, I, will, I will say if you look at the three of ours copies, they are highlighted like top to bottom. They have been like, I like, think uh, they've been used. They've been I well think loved. the name Tracy Mann has been on probably 90% of our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this, so I have this page highlighted. Um, what what I was gushing about before we hit record was how Tracy, or sorry, I should, Dr. Tracy, I'm sorry. I get pretty good. Tracy. <laughs> um, We're back yeah. enough to know. <laughs> yeah. um, so you are very much a messy middle writer in that you you really objectively look at the research. You haven't gone head first into any kind of movement or philosophy and just um, looked at research to support your philosophy, you've looked at the research, which has allowed you to come up with a very objective, balanced um, message. And so but that was the goal for sure. Um, and so I just I highlighted this um, a long time ago, because it was perfect. It says it's on page 20. And so what we hear a lot and what our audience is very aware of is that we hear two things. We hear that you cannot control your weight. You should not even try to lose weight. It's pointless. Your weight is predetermined. What you have, what you've got, that's what you're going to have forever. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have this whole industry of transformations that is totally realistic and sustainable to lose half your body weight forever, etc., etc. When what we actually know and what the research provides is, is that you, it's actually like in the middle, but what you had written, and I feel like I was waiting for this message. When I found your book, I felt like, I have arrived. I'm home. Like, this is what I have been looking for. Somebody who's just sensible. <laughs> um, and you say, um, you say, I'm not saying you can't influence your weight at all, just that the amount of influence you have is limited. And you'll generally end up within your genetically determined set weight range. And I thought that was so perfect in that you you're not willing to say you cannot control your weight. You're trying to say, hey, we can influence our weight. It's just not to the level that you have been led to believe by the fad diet industry. Exactly. That's right. So it's partly genetic, but not 100% genetic. Right. And didn't you, isn't there a percentage? I, was it? I think it's 70th. Yeah, 70% pre, but you have a, there's about a range of 30% in there that you can influence your weight. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just, I mean, it's really interesting that people are staking out these extreme positions, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, come on people, nothing is black and white like that. Right. Um, but with the weight thing, it's not just that, it's not the case that you can't maneuver your weight around to some extent. Obviously you can't, like you just said, you can't lose half your body weight, but you can move it around to some extent. But the problem is that it's really hard it's hard to move it around a lot. Right. It's not hard to move it around a little. Right. Um, and that's mostly what we talk about in the book is ways to move it around a little without it taking over your life. Right. Um, but to move it around a lot 
it's not that it can't be done. It's just that it's really, really hard. And it's very, um, it can be hard on us physically and psychologically to be trying to move our weight around to those different extreme ends. Yeah, exactly. That's why I like to talk about this leanest livable weight idea. By leanest livable weight, I mean the lowest weight that you can comfortably have without having to work so hard at it. Right. So it's the leanest weight you can live at comfortably. Now, that has been misinterpreted by the lovely people at goop.com. <laughs> the lowest weight you can actually survive at without dying. Right. Yeah. Oh. Right. And that's not what anyone, any of us here are trying to talk about. Um, that's what a lot of women are trying to be. Um, and they might, they may not even realize it, that that's what they're actually trying to achieve. But um, that's definitely not healthy physically or psychologically. And I just want to add to that. Um, we've worked with thousands of women across, across the span of the globe. And one of the common themes that keeps coming up for women is goal weights, or they have this like ideal body weight. And um, oftentimes, if you ask them like, well, where did that weight come from? It's like, so like not evidence-based. It's like, oh, I weighed that when I graduated high school, or that's what I weighed on my wedding day, or that's my pre-pregnancy weight. And it might not be realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or that's what I read on some chart in, you know, the, I even remember coming across a scale in the mall bathroom. Why there was a scale in the mall bathroom. (laughs) I don't know, but it had a chart of like body weights and like, this is if you're large frame, small frame. Um, and it's really not realistic, usually not realistic for those goal weights. So we love the idea that you have a range because as a woman, I know that my weight can fluctuate, you know, 10, 15 pounds, versus in this in the month and the year um how would you recommend going about determining a reasonable range of weight for someone yeah that's a really good question that's the hardest question to answer and the question i'm least likely to be able to satisfy you with an answer to um, because there isn't like a scientific formula to figure out your sort of set range so instead you have to just kind of make a guess based on your sort of knowledge of what your weight has done over your life. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people notice that there's a certain weight area that they keep coming back to. So they lose some weight, but then they come back to this weight or they gain some weight, but then they plop down to this weight without even trying very hard. And so if it's the, you know, the weight that your body seems to keep wanting to come back to, that's probably right there right there in in this set range right where your body is trying to keep you because you're good at it yeah in in your book and i know there's going to be people that are going to say they're going to scoff at this but you didn't just look at people that have lost weight and then regained it you also looked at people that were trying studies that have tried to get people to gain weight and it was hard to even maintain a weight gain as well and which further supports the idea that like this is where your body can effortlessly live or with minimal effort Right. It's true. And and the weight gain studies are particularly interesting um, because so many people think, you know, I'm so careful with what I eat. If I wasn't this careful, I'd for sure gain a whole ton of weight. Yes, we hear that all the time. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I think people really worry about that. And I think partly why they worry about it is because 
if they do eat a lot more than normal for a while, they do gain weight, but they only gain a certain amount of weight. You know what I mean? So maybe you'll gain your five pounds or 10 pounds, but you're not going to gain 50 pounds, you know, or if you do, you'll come back down pretty right. easily. We, right. see, we see a pendulum swing happen quite often with women who are coming off dieting. If they have spent a decade of their life dieting, um, we see this pendulum swing where they go from, you know, one weight and their pendulum swings up to a higher weight that they are comfortable with or that is maybe within their set point range, but then it settles down somewhere in the middle. And we talk about that, um, and you reference this in your book, The Minnesota Starvation Experiment. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, if you are coming from years and years and years of restriction, you look at, we have a whole podcast on the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. Oh, cool. Um, so if, if you are coming from a period of very severe restriction, the pendulum swing is almost an expectation. It's almost like, we would say it's a normal and natural response to dieting. Oh, exactly. It exactly is. I mean, we all need to reframe how we think about dieting. When people think about dieting, they think of that initial weight loss mm -hmm. and that's their image of dieting. And then they assume when, once they've had that initial weight loss, they'll just stay down there. Right. But actually, if you follow all the research looking longer at dieters, you see it's completely predictable that the weight comes back on. There's right. a tiny, tiny minority of people who keep it off. Right. The majority of people, it, it just comes back on, you know, over the next like two, three, four, five years. Right. So, yeah. So it's, we need to realize that that is a normal part of dieting and not uh, a failure by any particular individual dieter. Right. Right. Dieters, they always blame themselves for that. For that and pendulum that swing. That's what happens. Yeah, that's, that your is body just, needs that to happen. Your body is making that happen. Yeah, it's like, I think you also, I think we've used this analogy and I think it came from your book. It's like gasping for air after holding your breath. Ah, right. Yes. I, I didn't invent that analogy, but I did include it. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, I'm, and I'm sure, I feel like almost anything I say, you've already talked about. Um, <laughs> But I mean, the things that happen when you restrict for a while, your, your body, of course, doesn't know you want to look thinner. Your body thinks you're in the process of starving to death. And so it makes these alterations to save you, which is so kind of it. And yet yes. everyone gets so mad about that because all those changes that save you from starving to death make basically make it very, very, very easy to regain the weight. Mm -hmm. Right. And it probably, well, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't really matter what size you are. If you are 120 pounds or if you're 220 pounds, when you do that restriction, your body still, you know, it doesn't matter how much body fat you have, your body still thinks you are starving. Right. If your body detects that much less is coming in than it, than expected, then it just, all these changes just click on, you know, right. your metabolism changes. Uh-oh, now you have to eat less to keep losing weight. Mm -hmm. Right. Hormone levels change. Uh-oh, you're going to feel hungry Yeah. when you eat an amount of food that didn't used to make you feel hungry. You know, and then oh. there's all these attention changes too, right? So you notice food more if it's around, you can't get your mind off it once you start thinking about it. So all those things make regaining the weight way too easy 
and keeping it off way too hard. It doesn't make it impossible though. And so this is a key, another key thing that I think people sometimes don't realize. Any, any person who knows someone who has lost weight and kept it off, you know, comes and says to me, you can't say that your body does this stuff. You can't say your body makes these changes that cause you to regain the weight because I know people who've kept it off. Well, I'm not saying that these changes make it impossible to keep off the weight. I'm saying these changes make it really, really hard to keep off the weight. So hard that most people can't do it. Right. Um, we were talking before we hit record again. Another thing I had brought up is that uh, because we are, you know, we try to navigate that messy middle and help women figure out what's right for them. Um, I had said, you know, hearing these, I remember when I was first getting into this and starting to read about it um, like four to five years ago, I would start hearing that extreme messaging of you can't keep off weight. You just can't. And actually my husband, um, has lost about 60 pounds. Um, he was, um, I think he was about 300 pounds when he graduated high school. And now he sits at between kind of 220 and 245. I think he, I mean, I'm, he's going to be horrified that I'm <laughs> talking about this. But anyways, um, but that's just, that comes very naturally to him to kind of sit around there. And so I would, you know, I was the same as those people. I would kept hearing that it's impossible to lose weight. And I thought, he has now kept that off for 20 years and he he's not working like i don't see him get up every day and like work at it he's not like he he's not micromanaging his food he's not he has um some great habits he you know he eats balanced meals he tries to get to the gym three to four times a week um but he's lived a high stress life like the rest of us he's had kids, gone to grad school, all of that. And so that just didn't sit well with me. And I thought, instead of looking at everybody who's failing, what are these successful people doing? Like, why are they able to do it? Um, which kind of comes why, again, why your book is so refreshing, because you sort of, you've got that sort of nailed. Well, yeah, well, good. I mean, it. I, I don't even know... And it's interesting how you describe your husband as not having to work at keeping it off. Um, because what the research shows on the people who lose weight and keep it off is that those people are, you know, fairly obsessed with every little calorie that goes into their body and with every little bit of exercise they do to burn um, calories. So, um, so that's what I expect to hear when I hear that people have kept it off for a long time. But one thing that I've been wondering about lately, and no one has done this study that I know of, and I don't actually even know how to do this study, but I've been wondering, like, the people who lose a lot of weight and keep it off, are those people who had happened to recently gain a bunch of weight, but weren't normally really heavy? Or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm wondering if those mm -hmm. people who end up taking it off, people who have had this um, unusual weight gain, as opposed to people who are just always some high weight. Well, yeah, we see. I have theories. Go yeah, ahead, we Lauren. we kind of see this, and this is, I think, kind of in my story too. We see people who start dieting at a young age, right, and then they just keep putting on weight as they do the rebound, and you know their their weight wasn't maybe supposed to be quite that high, but because of the dieting, it keeps going up. They got inflated from there. right, and so for me, when I after I stopped dieting and I did gain a lot of weight when I finally went came to this place of balance my weight did go down and I think it's 
kind of just like that it came back to its normal range. Um, My husband also, um, and I haven't seen any research on this, he has um, put on a significant amount of muscle over the years. So he you know, at 18 years old, he didn't go to the gym. He, um, he just, you know, his body composition is com- completely different. He, he, you can just tell by looking at pictures of him that he had a substantial amount of body fat. And then after he left high school, he got into boxing and ended up boxing professionally. Um, or sorry, I should say semi-professionally. He, he's, he's just going to die when he <laughs> listens to this. Um, I'll just give him a little plug. He won the, he won the, a gold medal at the Canadian games in 2007 for boxing. Wow. Right. I know. Amazing. But he just gets so embarrassed when I talk about this. <laughs> okay. So I, just to revise what we're saying. So he's an elite athlete. Well, he wouldn't, I wouldn't say now. I'd say he's got more like dad bod. <laughs> now but he he did he he just he got into so what we tell our girls in Mount 365 is to find movement they like like if you and you talk about this in your book if you don't like what you're doing you're never going to stick to it and so when I say my husband doesn't work at it it's not that he doesn't prioritize um exercise and it's and doesn't prioritize a, a balanced way to eat he really enjoys that. So it's not that, so I think what what happens is there are people out there that are just never, they're never going to enjoy my husband's lifestyle. I'm not, I am not athletic and I am not competitive. I would never have enjoyed training for a boxing match like that or several boxing matches. So, but through that. I don't and, think I would like that either. Right. And so you have to kind of go, you know, and Annie, for example, Annie CrossFits like four to five times a week, which helps her to sustain that um, 40 pound fat loss that she has done. But and so it's like Annie personally doesn't feel like she wakes up in the morning and micromanages her weight loss. However, if I had to get up every day and go to CrossFit four to five times a week, that would feel like I was micromanaging my loss. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's true. So everyone needs to just find a sort of a set of lifestyle habits that aren't soul crushing for them. Right. For them. And that's the sort of key that it's like, what it, what do you like to do? And it may not be what somebody else does. And so you won't get the results that person has gotten, but Hey, that's okay. Like, let's just be sensible here kind of thing. True. I mean, like in the last year or so, I've had this just chronic hamstring injury just won't get better no matter how long I stay. It just doesn't get better. And, you know, finally my physical therapist was like, you know, it doesn't hurt when you do spin class. It doesn't hurt when you do yoga. It hurts when you run. It's like exactly that part of the hamstring. And she's like, you have to not run. And somehow her saying that I don't have to go all winter onto the treadmill. It's like, so freeing to like allow myself to do the kinds of exercise that I, I don't want to say enjoy, but that I don't hate. Right. Um, even though to me, they don't seem as potent. You know what I mean? Like nothing right, right. as much as running this, but I feel like, you know, all signs are that I'm just as healthy as if I were running, as long as I'm doing these other activities and it's not miserable. So, right. Thank you, Christina, for free <laughs> I'm feeling like I have to use the freaking treadmill. 
can I can I go back to I want to go back to something that Jen said because this um is something that I've been wondering about when we hear this about this set weight range is that total weight or is that like fat percentage because we do see people who do build muscle right and they're the same weight but they their body composition is very different like how do you know how that plays into this I don't I don't recall ever hearing anyone talking about set weight ranges in any way other than referring to weight I've not heard anyone describe it in terms of muscle mass okay Um, it's always something I've wondered I don't think people have yeah at least I've not encountered it yeah I'm curious if if you end up putting on this muscle mass and it leads to your total body weight being you know a little bit lower around the same as what your mass was with um, less muscle then is that sort of like a trick quote-unquote for your body and that it's like oh we're you know we're the same weight and so you see all see people that change their body but your your body's like but I still weigh this much and I still need this amount of calories to sustain me do you know what I mean that might be a future research (laughs) project for you (laughs) that would reflect my um experience for sure because I um I have like probably a six to seven, I would say pound weight range that I have not budged from for maybe a couple of years. Um, but my body composition has changed within that, um, a, a couple of percent. I mean, I've, to me, it's notice been noticeable, but I cannot, like, I have to work really, really hard to get out of that range either above or below it. Wow. That's really interesting. So yeah, that might be a good trick. You know, don't worry about the number, but just try to replace some more of that fat with some more muscle. Yeah. And I think my husband probably has benefited hugely from his, like his body composition is completely different than when he was 18. And I think he's still a very heavy man, right? He's still like 240 pounds. He's a heavy man, but he's not, um, he just has way less fat mass and more muscle mass on him. Right. Wow. That's great. Yeah, that sounds, I had I never thought about that. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we will come, we will come be your test subjects. Yes. yes. <laughs> be happy to take a trip to the eating lab up north or kind of down south, I guess. Down for, south for me. For, yeah. For Jen. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I'm in British Columbia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's kind of a good segue talking about, um, you know, how much your habits or lack thereof kind of consume you. Because one of the most common comments we get from members of our community is that they feel like they just need more willpower, more motivation, more self-discipline. And if they had those things that then they could like just stick to their diet, they could stick to their plan, they could reach their goals, right? And I know that as a researcher of self-discipline, you've noted um, that you've heard that echoed as well, that when you share people with people that you're a researching that they're like, oh yeah, I I want more of that. Or how do I get more of that? Um, In your experience, is more willpower needed? Is that what people are missing? No, it's not what people are missing. So every dieter thinks they are uniquely bad at resisting tempting food. You know what I mean? Like, so you sort of alluded to it, but constantly people come up to me after talks and they're like, oh God, or before talks, you, 
oh God, self-control, I need more of that. You know, that's the thing that I happen to need, me alone, you know, of, but everyone is bad at self-control. Everyone struggles with their willpower, thin people, fat people, and everyone in between. Um, it's not the thing that tells us who's going to end up thin and who's not. You know what I mean? It's just everyone struggles with it. In fact, there's these this group of psychologists called positive psychologists that study like human strengths. So things like kindness or creativity or thoughtfulness. And what they find is that like the kinds of things that are ranked really highly are kindness, thoughtfulness. People generally believe that they're kind and generally believe they're thoughtful. The one that comes in dead last every time is self-control. People do not think they have self-control. And they've repeated that kind of survey in like 53 countries. Wow. Control is always at or very, very near the bottom. Nobody thinks they have good self-control. It's not a, a, it's not unique to dieters. It's everyone. And it wouldn't matter if everybody had great self-control because of the environment we all live in. And there's probably no amount that would be enough uh, to survive the onslaught of temptation every minute of the day. Is this what... Um you would say is the obesogenic environment? Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. And that is what we're living in. I mean, I shouldn't have to try to resist buying a candy bar when I'm in Office Depot buying paper for my printer. Right. You know, like, and you don't. <laughs> yeah. That should not be a temptation challenge. In right. Office you know, right. so it's everywhere all the time. It is, but it, but it's there, right? There's candy. Um, I don't know if you guys have staples down there, but we have staples and it's like an office depot and there is candy at the checkout and Dude, yes. it's everywhere. everywhere. Selection. I mean, yeah, and yeah. really kind of awesome candy selection. Yeah. Office supply stores for some reason. So there's, and there's, I don't know if this is the same down there, but in Canada, there is a push to um, have um, like basically temptation-free aisles. So candy-free aisles, specifically for um, parents bringing their children to shop because I just argue with my kids nonstop about not buying candy. So then it becomes this thing that children begin to focus on and then they develop these scarcity issues, you know, because they're just candy and they see it and you're saying no. But, um, and so the other thing that they've started offering in grocery stores here are they have apple bins for children. So when you are shopping, you can take your kids to the apple bin and they can munch on an apple while you're shopping. And this, this kind of stuff is brilliant. I think. Yeah, definitely. No, it all fits the sort of general basic strategy of rearranging things so that you don't keep encountering temptation. Right. If you don't encounter it, you're not going to have it. And that was kind of like a, I don't want to say a willpower hack, but that was one of the things you mentioned in your book that like, you don't have to rely so much on willpower or self-control or self-discipline or say no all the time if you can curate your environment to reduce those temptations, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Ideally, you don't want to ever have to say no. You know, ideally, you just don't want it to come up. You know, once a food is on your plate, for example, forget it. It's, you're eating it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you want to keep things from getting to that point where 
there's no hope of resisting it. Right. And we like even small things, we were talking about this with our Balance 365 community the other day. Um, simple things like dishing up dinner at the island or on the stove and taking it to the table rather than having all your dishes on the table to dish up from is just a really small hack that you could use to not have seconds or to yeah. not, um, you know, over dish up kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, exactly. And that works because as we talk about a lot in the book is people are lazy and small people right. <laughs> slow us or stop us. That's right. a small obstacle. Yeah. I could get up from the table and walk four feet. Exactly. That is shocking how many people that stopped. Well, I've heard you talk about it's not even just getting up, but just moving it further than your arm can reach. There's actually a study that shows that. that One of my colleagues in the Netherlands, literally straightening your arm is enough to slow people down. (laughs) That's that's like the... um, there's, I have a, a salt lamp on the opposite side of my room and I turn it on at night and half the time I get into bed and I'm like, ah, that lamp is still on. And I swear more often than not, I just sleep with it on because I am too lazy to get out of bed to turn the lamp on. So like, I cannot be inconvenienced. I, I'm going to one up you on that. <laughs> Sometimes I'm in bed on my back, but I really prefer to sleep on my side. <laughs> and I just can't her <laughs> the energy to like just freaking roll half my body over. Half. <laughs> That's and you actually you actually cover make um, small inconveniences or small obstacles is also covered in your book because um, you tell a story about is it uh, toilet paper? Yes, I read yes. that online as a. I was so excited when I read that online. So it was a budget tip for strapped households was to when you get the roll of toilet paper to smush it a little so that it doesn't turn easily. So when you go to pull it off, it tears off right away. So that leads people to use less toilet paper. That I need that for my children. Yeah, actually, it's good for if you have kids. They plug the toilet and yeah. <laughs> I'm in there with a plunger once a week. <laughs> It would also help with that. But, you know, just the fact that it stops a regular adult person from using more toilet paper is another example of how small, minuscule obstacles actually really slow us down. And and Lauren uh, Lauren only buys single servings of ice cream. um, So that was another one. Well, they have them at Kroger, like the little ones. They're like, you know, like this, this big instead of... The pint or the They're gallon. Like a little cup or like six yeah. ounces or something, eight ounces. Yeah. Or I just go out to like Dairy Queen or something instead of buying the whole gallon in my house. You buy the one. Or even just for me is like just if we make cookies or something, just putting them in the cabinet instead of ha- leaving them on the counter, right? We used to just leave it on the counter. But if I just put it in the cabinet where I don't see it every time I walk in the kitchen, yes. I end up just forgetting about it. Yes. I am um, out of sight. We have a thing in our community. We also have a free Facebook community that has 40,000 women in it. Um, so they just participate in our philosophy. They haven't bought our program. Um, but one thing we talk about in there is there's this whole veggie tray revolution. And so I started it a couple of years ago and my aunt gave me a hand me down an old circular Tupperware veggie tray. And I stock that veggie tray Sundays and Wednesdays because we've 
well, like we just eat it all by Wednesdays now. So that has substantially, and having that front and center in my fridge has substantially yes. increased my family's vegetable intake. And I even take it out during meals. If we're having grilled cheese sandwiches, the veggie tray will go on the table. And so like it's all prepared, like they're all clean. Yep. I have washed them. I chop them. I, and I just, it's like, if I just need to do the minimum to set us up for success for the week, it's just that veggie tray. It takes me under 10 minutes. Um, and so great. And, and we open the fridge. It's just right there. And we've also moved our treats to the cupboard above the fridge. So I need to get a stool out to get out chocolate and chips and, you know, people, you know, these things are simple and they work. Yeah. And, but people just, you know, we tell them, but they just, it, they're not, they're still looking. There's like this magic pill thing going on. Right. right? They still right. think it can't be that simple, but it is. And so the veggie tray is a good example of removing the obstacles to doing right. something. Healthy. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So exactly. If you look in the fridge and you want a snack, you're not going to like pull open the veggie bin, you know, get out the beef. No. Scrape them, clean them, cook them, make nope, a nice. But if you do that ahead, and you have a nice little bowl or Tupperware of uh, roasted beets, you will eat them. Yes, absolutely. Trouble vegetables are hard work. They are hard work, and um, so is protein. So the other thing we've tried to bring to people's attention is that. Um, Carbs and fat are readily available to us in convenience form everywhere. So if you want to be eating a more balanced diet, focus your energy on getting um, protein and vegetables and fruit prepared and as convenient to you as the nuts and the seeds and the bread and, you know, all of that kind of thing um, because they take a lot of prep work, right? So the other thing I do is I just throw some chicken breast in a slow cooker on Sunday night and then I take it out and I shred it and I just have a little container of shredded um, chicken breast, which I can throw on sandwiches or wraps or um, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. So yeah, it's little, little things like that have made the biggest difference in my life and in our Balance 365ers as well. That's great. So that's good. That's just making it easier to do just the healthy thing. Environment. Harder yeah. to do the unhealthy yeah, thing. Yeah, just acknowledging that we're lazy. <laughs> and and it's across the board. It's a, like your research has shown that it's across the board. Like humans in general are lazy. It's not like these people, like, you know, it's not just me, Jen and Lauren that don't want to prep our veggies or whatever. It's like, this is human nature. And so I feel like that's kind of refreshing to hear because um, it's not kind of, it's very refreshing to hear because again, so many people are blaming themselves for why they can't follow the diet, why they can't stick to the program. And it's like, look, you're just human. Like <laughs> you're, you're asking yourself to change a lot of things at once to do a lot of stuff that's really not in your wheelhouse. And it's normal if you struggle with that. And also, can I just add, um, because sometimes people are like all those strategies you're saying just sound like you know dieting tips yes and i they don't do. really mean them to be dieting tips i mean them to be these are just little things that you can just kind of have as habits in your life that will just help you stay in that sort of lower part of your set mm -hmm. i'm not saying that by moving the cookies to a higher shelf you're gonna lose a ton of weight or that you should never have cookies Right. It's not about. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm just saying these are just some things that help you to just kind of stay on that even keel or maybe just aim for that slightly lower part of your set range that you're already within. 
there's um I wanted to address that too as well because I feel like there is as far as environment there is a lot of tips you can use and you they can be used as tools or they can be used as weapons against you right and so in um, diet culture these things are often used as weapons and it's funny because I used to some of the tools I use today to stay healthy balanced and at a leaner weight I used to use when I was dieting, trying to live a weight below what was healthy for me. And I was going hungry all the time. So what would happen to me was I I wouldn't buy the cookies. I wouldn't buy the ice cream. I didn't want any of that in my house because my cravings were so strong because I was going hungry all the time. So when that stuff was occasionally brought in my house, yeah. I would eat it all. It was I would go nutso on a pint of ice cream in a night or a gallon. And so it's kind of like talking in a nuanced way, right? To go like, you can use these as tools or you can use them as weapons. It all depends on where you're at and what's going on inside your head. Yeah, that's really true. And um, that's a really important point that when you deny yourself something, when you restrict certain categories of foods or certain foods, it's gonna eventually backfire. You right. Know, you are gonna, it just, it's amazing how fast you start to want those things you restrict. Uh, I mean, we did a study like this that I think I talk about in the book where we forbade people from eating a food that they didn't even love. Right. Yeah. Food in the middle for, I can't remember how long. Three weeks, I think. Yeah. Radishes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I just know your book. I just like, I, just, I know. Radish, radishes and chocolate for three yeah. weeks. <laughs> I better know my details well. And the point, the point I was trying to make about that wasn't the main point of that study, but just was that very quickly they started really wanting those things right. that they couldn't have. So not worth it to deny yourself certain things and instead try to just eat those things in reasonable portions. So I cannot live without ice cream and there's really no reason to do so. But my ice cream trick, when you guys mentioned some years, I'll add one more, is I make my husband serve me. Because oh, nice. he will serve a reasonable portion and put it away. And our right. freezer is crazy cold, so it's not even going to be easy to take more. Because right. it's just, you know, he'll, like, he'll wait and do what you need to do. So let people wait on you, folks. Yes, the other one, speaking advice. of freezer. I can get behind that. Um, <laughs> I bake for my kids for their school lunches, and I keep it in the freezer. So I, if I want a, a banana chocolate chip muffin... It's totally fine, but I have to think about that, right? I have to take it out and then I have to unthaw it in order for me to eat it. Where, you know, it's just talking about those barriers environment, just putting a little bit of barrier between you and that thing causes you to pause and go, do I really want this or is this just an impulse? Exactly. You need that pause. <clears throat> My 14 year old son is obsessed with baking. You know, he's classic preteen boy, you know, scrawny, he looks like a paper clip, you know, no body at all. But he's killing me. There are constantly <laughs> baking here. And, and he, the good news is he's obnoxious and doesn't always let me have any because he wants to take it all to school because he brings it to a certain class. You know, there's 24 kids in that class. Right. Every recipe makes 24. You know, 64. <laughs> so he often doesn't let me have any, thank God. But a lot of the time he does. And it's like once or twice a week, this is going on in my house. Yeah. That's a lot of like baking. Extra baking. Yeah. That's a lot of baking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
So, Dr. Mann, I know we're approaching the hour. I feel like we could do this for the whole time, though, um, or a couple hours at least. Um, just to kind of wrap up all of your research and your experience, um, personal and professional, inside your book, as we've shared so much already, you provide a lot of like gold little nuggets as to how people can improve their health, reframe their mindsets, even thinking about foods in terms of healthy and unhealthy uh, how to alter their habits to support sustainable weight loss, um, if that's what they're after. But really, you seem to boil it down to just, as Jen said, sensible, no fuss advice, like exercise regularly and create reasonable eating habits, and that you believe that that will help you reach your goals with minimal effort. Is that really it? Because if so, that's super refreshing. That That is it. Um, but I will elaborate a little bit. Um, because here's where we have to get our heads and our heads are not there yet, but here where we need to get our heads is if we are exercising the recommended amount, which is what is it, 150 minutes per week. If we are eating, you know, a reasonable number of servings of vegetables per day. And if we're, you know, keeping our stress level under control, um, not smoking, if we're doing those things, whatever we weigh when we're doing those things should be, where we want to be that should we need to define that weight as our perfect weight because mm -hmm. that is what you weigh when you're behaving in a healthy way so i don't know this this comes up all the time with people everyone thinks if i if i do the exercise i'm supposed to do i'll get thin but that's not true mm -hmm. exercise doesn't necessarily make you a lot thinner but it does make you healthier mm -hmm. so what i keep pushing on people is behaving in healthy ways makes you healthier, even though it might not make you thinner or as much thinner as you want it to. So whatever we weigh when we're behaving in healthy ways, we've got to find a way to be okay with that. Right, except you have a whole section on acceptance, right? And yeah. let, let your, do what's good for you and let your body be what it's going to be and just accept this. Like it's so, it's actually so freeing. Yes, just just if you keep the focus on health and not weight, mm -hmm. everything makes so much more sense. Yeah, I love that. You do these healthy behaviors, they make you healthier. But yeah. again, maybe not thinner, maybe not as much thinner as you want. So right. I wonder how many of our listeners' minds are just like blowing right now hearing mm -hmm. that. Like <laughs> behaving in a healthy way will make you healthier. It might not make you thinner but it will improve your health. Isn't like, it crazy that that's mind blowing? Yeah. I said that to some radio guy one time and he's like, I don't know, that's kind of a hard sell. <laughs> yeah, you know? Well, it's only a hard sell because we have, you know, diet companies telling you the opposite everywhere, all day, every day. Seriously. You know? And because people don't actually value their health the way they all say yeah. they do. Yeah, they value thinness. Yeah. Um, if people truly valued health, that wouldn't be a remarkable thing to say at all. We had a psychologist post in our group um, the other day. She had read your book, Preparing for This Podcast, and she said, I'm a psychologist, and I'm reading this book, and I feel my resistance towards it. Like, I, I feel it. And she, but, you know, she's acknowledging, like, this is programming. This is diet culture. And so she was trying to tell everybody, like, I am a professional, and I am resisting this. Like I have a mental block there that I don't want to hear it. I still want to believe there's a magic pill out there. And so, of course, the general population that isn't even educated with psychology 
you know, of course, there's a massive block there, massive. And I see that, and I see that in anonymous comments out there. The people who come up to me are like, this is freeing, this changes everything, hallelujah. And the people who are like, I can't, no, I must believe that I can lose a ton of weight and keep it off. Um, yeah, I don't hear from those people. I just see their mean comments. Right, but they just pursue people who that whose ideas support their, you know, what how they want to see the world, right? And you know what? Honestly, when I embraced these ideals, it was, I went through a pretty big slump of emotion. Like, it was like grief. I had to grieve. And because it was, yeah, it was a, it was an idea that I had based a lot of my life around and spent a lot of time, energy, and money. And the more invested you're into something, the more you resist that it doesn't work. And trying to convince different gurus or fitness professionals that have built their whole careers and social followings on selling thinness, trying to convince them of that will be even harder because they are so deeply invested in it. Oh, yeah, they're the worst. And so I think a grieving process is like pretty normal when you, when you, like you, you have the freedom, but then it's like, you know, you go through these different stages of like, oh, well that sucks. Or you feel some body shame come up and your trigger, that's kind of your trigger that typically would take you into dieting behaviors to feel like you were actually in control of that, but you're not. And you're just realizing I am not in control and that it can be very depressing, right? But, but also very freeing on the other side once you fully accept that. Yeah, again, we just have to remember the thing that the one thing that truly, truly matters is our health. Yes, yeah, you know, absolutely. Just, you know, have someone close to you die too young and suddenly it becomes very, very real. You know, you have nothing without your health. Right. So you need to yeah. keep that in mind as the goal. The goal yeah. is health, um, not some number on the scale. And we don't measure health with that number on the right. scale. Right. And- and including psychological health in that because I have had people around me um, succumb to eating disorders. And that's a very real thing in our society. And it has very, um, anorexia has very high mortality rates. And so, so of any mental illness. Yes. And so, um, and, and it's just a horrible life, right? Even if you don't, even if it doesn't lead to you die, passing away and dying, it's a horrible place to be. And it is not healthy and it's, you know, this is very real as far as, you know, a lot of people think of unhealthy as, you know, very large and morbidly obese and eating and eating. But there is the other end where there's a lot of people succumbing to eating disorders as well. Yeah, it's true. Dr. Mann, I cannot thank you enough. This is this is so much fun. Um, is there a place that people can connect with you? Do you hang out on? Um, I already stalked you on Instagram. It doesn't look like you're you never post. I just I'm, I'm basically on Instagram to spy on my 14 year old. <laughs> I don't expect he'll see this. So I think excellent. Is are you um, on Facebook or your website? Uh, where where can people catch up with you or stay on top of what you're working on? I guess I'm on Facebook or Twitter more, but again, I, well, on Facebook I post, but mostly political stuff. On Twitter, I only lurk. I'm okay. there. If you want to find me, if you want to talk to me, tweet at me. Okay. Okay. Um, or, or do the same on Facebook. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes so people can connect with you if they want to follow up with you. But, um, I, this is so fun. I, it was, it was just like talking to a friend <laughs> uh, that knows a lot about nutrition. <laughs> 
Sounds like you're doing awesome stuff. So I'm so glad you're out there doing it. Yeah, we're trying. Thank you. Okay, we'll talk soon, ladies. Thanks for joining us. Bye. All right, bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by the Bounce 365 program. If you're ready to say goodbye to quick fixes and false promises and yes to building healthy habits and a life you're 100% in love with, then check out bounce365.co to learn more.